This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. In 2013, a deadly incident made public the human cost of cheap clothing. A garment factory in Bangladesh called Rana Plaza collapsed, killing more than 1,000 workers. It was the deadliest accident the garment industry has ever seen. It was a horrible scene because in addition to the dead people, you had all these other people who weren't killed but were like caught in the rubble. Justin Sheck is a reporter for The Wall Street Journal. It was the kind of thing that when it got on TV, not only did people in the U.S. and Europe see the high cost of the cheap clothing they had, but they also saw brand name clothes that we recognize here were being made at the factory complex. After the tragedy, brands that were making clothes at Rana Plaza and at other dangerous factories like it had a reckoning. Executives for these brands, like Walmart, publicly committed not to use these factories and signed on to two new alliances that would serve as watchdogs. We stand here today because we believe that companies and government have a responsibility to ensure that the tragedies that have occurred in Bangladesh are not repeated. And we believe that if we work together, we can prevent and fix unsafe working conditions in Bangladesh. Essentially what they did was require every company that joined them to turn over a list of the factories it uses. And the group would inspect the factories, find safety problems, tell the factory owner, you need to fix all of these. If you don't, we will blacklist you. You are no longer eligible to supply to these companies. What gave the watchdog group's teeth were its powerful members. In Europe, Zara and H&M signed on. In the U.S., big retailers like Gap, Target, and Walmart all joined. But among the clothing retailers in the U.S. that didn't sign on was Amazon. Today on the show, an investigation from the Wall Street Journal into how Amazon is helping undermine years of progress meant to make the garment industry safer. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Monday, October 28th. Earlier this year, Justin Sheck and a team of reporters started looking into the clothes sold on Amazon. They wondered whether clothes from banned factories might be finding a home on the platform. The bigger picture is that these online platforms, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Amazon, have been coming under increasing scrutiny by government because they inhabit this weird space where a tech company can say that because it's a platform, not, say, a seller, a retailer, it doesn't have the same responsibilities to protect consumers. The platform that Amazon runs is its online marketplace, which allows third-party sellers to use its technology to sell their own goods. And that's what Justin and his colleagues are most interested in. 
And one reason they decided to look into clothing on Amazon is because in the past few years, clothes have become a big part of Amazon's business. They started selling clothes under brand names that they own. Amazon owns certain brand names and and started buying clothes from wholesalers under different brand names and selling them directly to people like Walmart does. And they also expanded their third-party marketplace. And how big does Amazon actually get? Well, it's either the largest or second largest clothing retailer in America. It's sort of neck and neck with Walmart. So they're quite big. They're huge. Amazon didn't used to be such a huge clothing retailer, which is part of the reason they weren't in that original agreement not to source from these dangerous factories. But the company caught on to a wave of fast fashion that started in the 2000s. And you had companies like Zara and H&M that helped create the situation where rather than people focus on buying something, a very expensive garment from a name brand that they wear for a long time, people would buy cheap disposable things, and you'd buy like a lot of clothes, and you'd wear them for a short time, they'd be very cheap. And as the industry shifted that way, it created additional work for manufacturers. There were many more garments. The whole model was more clothes, more clothes, more, there's more to, to make, but at lower prices. And the best way to sell lots of cheap clothes is to bring down the production and labor costs. Yeah, so it helped fuel the growth of this industry in Bangladesh, which became the world's second largest clothing maker. Bangladesh is a very cheap place to operate. You don't have to pay people much. They're really poor. And there aren't a lot of well-enforced laws around things like labor practices and building codes and all of the other things that we sort of take for granted. And so you've got thousands of factories in Bangladesh with a wide variation in building safety and the way they treat their workers, the way they pay their workers. And it was something that everyone knew was a problem. Like We all... I think kind of knew that the reason now I can buy jeans for 20 bucks is because someone is getting paid a very small amount of money to make those jeans. As fast fashion has become a bigger part of Amazon's business, the company has stuck with its earlier decision not to participate in that watchdog alliance that was meant to blacklist dangerous factories. And so when Justin and his colleagues decided to look into Amazon's third-party marketplace, they wanted to figure out where Amazon's clothes are coming from. The basic question we had was, is Amazon in this area behaving in the same way as the companies that it's very quickly become a huge competitor to? And so we looked for a way to figure out what is a safe factory versus an unsafe factory and how could we figure out where Amazon fits in here. To figure out what was a safe or unsafe factory in Bangladesh, they needed to start with a list of clothing factories that were dangerous. So they turned to the work done by those alliances that were formed after the Rana Plaza collapse. Those alliances had done inspections of hundreds of factories in Bangladesh and created a giant blacklist. Justin and his colleagues looked at the blacklist and identified 122 dangerous factories that were still in operation. And so it was an area where we could see in very clear ways with records of inspections and photographs and conclusions by independent factory inspectors, what was a safe factory, what was not. So the question was, are garments from these factories making their way to Amazon? And the things from these factories making their way to Amazon's other big competitors? So how do you go about figuring that out? I mean, how do you figure out what's being sold on Amazon and where it came from. So we struggled a little bit to find 
a way to answer that question because, again, there's just not an easy, publicly accessible way to do it. What we ended up doing was we got access to a database of shipping records. Any shipment that goes anywhere in the world has to have documentation with it on the boat, the plane. And it's a database of those. So what we did was look at every shipment that every one of these blacklisted factories sent to America. And we figured out who they sent them to. And then we figured out if the company they were sending them to had garments for sale on Amazon. And then we figured out whether those garments appeared to match what was in the shipment. To give an example, one of the 122 blacklisted factories is owned by a company called Riverside Apparel. The factory was blacklisted because the building is unsafe. The reporters looked at shipping records and found that Riverside was sending clothes to a wholesaler based in New York. The next step was to figure out where that wholesaler was selling that clothing. So we figured out they sell clothing under a number of brand names, and one of them was called Chili Pop. Chili Pop is a children's clothing brand. So we then went to Amazon to see if we could find Chili Pop items for sale. And we did. We found, uh, you know, a number of garments. One of them is this yellow shirt I'm holding. It's sort of a gingham. It's, it's yellow and white checked. And it looks like it would fit up probably a two-year-old. This yellow gingham shirt was available for sale on Amazon. And to better understand where and how the shirt was made, Wall Street Journal reporters went to Bangladesh to check out the factory for themselves. There are these locking doors on the bottom floor of the factory that are the kind of doors that these factory inspection groups say you're not allowed to have because even when they're unlocked, they can prevent people from getting out during a fire. And these doors were closed and, and in some cases appeared to be locked during the working day. And you can see on the roof, there's standing water, which might not seem like a big deal, but actually it is because it can eat away concrete. And generally had a bunch of visible things that could disqualify it from meeting the standards of these safety groups. Your colleagues talked to current and former workers there. What did they say? What they had said is that they have to work long days, some 12-hour, some 18-hour days. Uh, oftentimes they have to go without a meal because they need to sit and sew and get a huge shipment of garments finished in, in short order. And what one of them told us was that, you know, it's the conditions at factories on the approved lists for these groups tend to generally be better than the conditions at the band factories, not just structurally, but in terms of salary and to the extent of, you know, you get like benefits like vacation time or a bonus or medical leave. You, you don't get that to this factory. That's, that's what one of the supervisors told us. And the journal also interviewed the factory ownership you mentioned. What did, what did they say? We actually talked to the owner's son, who's sort of the general manager, and he's, you know, who the owner wanted us to talk to. And he said he was aware of the problems that are in the inspection documents, which includes, you know, the fairly serious issue that the columns holding up the building aren't really strong enough to hold up the building. So he understands their problems. And what he said, he really wants things to improve, and, and he's trying to shift production to a new factory. In the meantime, they're still producing things there. When the journal reached out to the company that distributes Chili Pop clothing in the U.S., that's the company that sold the Yellow Kids shirt, a spokesperson said that the company has only dealt with the factory through a middleman, which it says it has since cut ties with. 
It also said that it faults that middleman for, quote, not having performed proper due diligence. But this factory, Riverside Apparel, is just one blacklisted factory that our reporters connected to Amazon. And when Justin and his colleagues dug into it, they discovered that there were many more factories like it and that they weren't just supplying to Amazon. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. Welcome back. In this investigation... Wall Street Journal reporters looked into the sourcing of clothing for sale on Amazon. They started with a list of 122 Bangladeshi factories that had been blacklisted by major American companies. And they wanted to see how many of these factories made clothes that ended up on Amazon. Of the 122 factories, we found that 67 factories were shipping clothing to wholesalers that are getting their garments on Amazon. So... Roughly speaking, about half of the 122 factories that these alliances have determined are unsafe and should be blacklisted are able to sell their products in one way or another through a middleman or directly on Amazon. Yeah, right. The reporters didn't find products from Amazon's own brands, like Amazon Basics, coming from blacklisted factories. But they did find that some of these products were being sold by Amazon directly— Most blacklisted products, however, were sold by third-party sellers. So when you brought these findings to Amazon, how did Amazon respond? So they removed some of them, not all of them. They said, you know, if clothing comes from factories that don't comply with our requirements for suppliers, we're going to remove them. How does Amazon communicate with third-party sellers about sourcing requirements? When you go on the Amazon website for third-party sellers— Nowhere does it say explicitly that you as a third-party seller on Amazon are bound by these sourcing rules. So what Amazon tells us is, yes, they expect third-party suppliers to follow the rules. But without that explicit verbiage saying that I, as a third-party seller on Amazon, must do X, Y, Z, you can see how a lot of third-party sellers are just completely ignoring that and buying garments from whoever the cheapest supplier is and then putting them up on the marketplace. Third-party sellers in general have made Amazon a less transparent marketplace. One of the largest clothing sellers on Amazon used to be Nike. Now, many of the top-listed sellers are hard to identify. One of the top-selling companies is based in China, 
and it's called XMYIFOR. They sell like a huge range of products, and it's all stuff. It's it's very cheap. These companies, not only do they not do advertising, they don't have like a brand name. They have nothing. All they're doing is operating at a very low cost, posting photos of their garments on Amazon and having people buy them at extremely cheap prices. And that model works because Amazon has this third-party marketplace. And what did Amazon say in response to the fact that third-party sellers were selling clothes on their site that came from unsafe factories? You know, they told us that the sourcing requirements they have for their suppliers are also supposed to apply to the third parties. But that didn't answer the question as to, if you're a third-party seller, A, is it clear that you are bound by these rules? And B, what does Amazon do to make sure you're complying with them? And that's where we don't have a lot of clarity right now. Amazon's third-party marketplace has been so successful that it's actually influenced the rest of the retail industry. Now, Walmart, one of the companies that was on that agreement not to source from dangerous factories, has its own third-party marketplace. And because of that, Walmart no longer has control over every product on its site. We did find about half the factories, just under half the factories that we that seem to be getting things to Amazon are also getting some of their stuff to, to Walmart.com. Mm-hmm. And so one of our conclusions is that Amazon, by creating this new model, has moved the industry in a different direction. That's in a direction toward having a marketplace with fewer specific controls and also that's harder to control and that's easier for sort of anyone to kind of get anything on there. And it's created pressure on other companies to emulate that model because it's a very low-cost model. Right, because as a consumer, you always want the cheapest product that you can buy that still, you know, maintains a certain level of quality. And so now it seems like Amazon potentially is providing an opportunity for that standard to continue to go lower. Yeah, the model, the online platform model, makes it much harder to maintain transparency and accountability in the industry. When the journal reached out, Walmart wouldn't comment on its third-party marketplace. A person familiar with the company's practices said that while Walmart does vet third-party suppliers and has certain restrictions on what they can sell, it doesn't have any requirements about factory safety. Walmart, remember, was part of that original alliance meant to stop items coming from these dangerous factories. But that alliance was only a five-year commitment. Going forward, it seems that efforts towards more transparent sourcing may be weakening. The alliance wound down in December, and to their credit, Walmart and its other major members formed a new group, which is carrying on the work, but they're not going to have a public list anymore of blacklisted factories. They're not, for the most part, doing their own inspections. Most of the inspections will be done by inspectors paid for by the companies themselves. So there's been sort of a a chipping away of the protections, and it looks like it could become much harder to have some degree of certainty that your clothing isn't being made by someone on whom the roof could collapse any minute. Structurally, we want very cheap clothing, and it's going to be made in places and by people whose conditions appall us. You know, one of the workers told my colleagues, there's a lot of sort of sorrow and pain behind these clothes. And it's something that with an online marketplace where you're completely disconnected from any physical interaction with the clothes, it's 
very easy to not understand or think about that at all. That's all for today, Monday, October 28th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.